0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. I'm your host, Jason Tardick. We have a little bit of different cadence today before we ring in the opening bell. First of all, I just want to thank you guys. This has been such an amazing run. And I never in a million years dreamed that this far, we would be so close to a million downloads. The feedback's been amazing, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate all your support. The biggest favor you could do for me is if you enjoy this podcast, tell your colleagues, tell your coworkers, tell your mom, dad, your partners, word of mouth, which we talk about in this upcoming episode, is really important. And if you could do that, we'd appreciate it. Also, we have a few updates. The biggest update is we have the millionaire magician coming on and you'll hear all about the things he does. Stage presence, the psychology of working with humans, whether it's a partner or a business person or a manager, you're going to hear about it. But his tickets to his show are roughly around three dollars to $500 a ticket. He's giving away two of those. So two of our listeners are going to get to go to his show in New York City. Here's how you enter. Give us five-star review on Apple Podcast Review and just write anything. Great podcast, enjoy it, write feedback, maybe a guest you'd like us to have and put your Instagram or Twitter handle or your email, anywhere we can contact you. Then just go to the Home of Trading Secrets podcast, which is restart underscore reset and give us a follow. And we now have a Trading Secrets Facebook group. So just join that for free. You'll be entered and by December 20th, we will be giving the two tickets away. Again, thank you so much for listening. Please provide any feedback you have. And if you share anything Trading Secrets related, please tag restart underscore reset. Myself, Jason underscore Tardik, and at David Arduin, And we will share everything you are sharing. Without further ado, let's bring in the millionaire magician, Steve Cohen. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today, we are shaking things up with a guest that is literally going to blow your mind. He blew my mind. Steve Cohen, a.k.a. the Millionaire's Magician, who is a world-class magician performing for elite audiences all over the world. His audiences include a huge list of celebrities and royalty, including Woody Allen, William Goldman, Warren Buffett, who we talk a lot about on this podcast, Michael Bloomberg, another one who we talk about on this podcast, the Queen of Morocco. Trust me when I tell you, the list goes on. In 2012, he starred in Lost Magic Decoded, a two-hour special on the History Channel where he traveled to England, India, and all across the United States documenting the forgotten origins of Magic, and Theater of Wonder, a sold-out solo show at Carnegie Hall. He's been featured on CBS Sunday Morning, CNN, and Late Night with David Letterman, the one and only, and in numerous publications, which has been fun reading, prepping for this interview, including the New York Times, Variety, Forbes Magazine. Not to mention, he is also the author of three noteworthy books. One I got behind me, Win the Crown. The Millionaire's Magician and Confronting Magic. Steve, thank you so much for being here today on Trading Secrets. We're excited to have you.
2: Thank you very much. And by the way, I'm not planning on trading any of my magic secrets today. So don't get any ideas.
1: <laughs> if there's one thing I knew coming in this interview, it's that you wouldn't give me any secrets as it relates to your magic. But what we're dying to know is a lot about kind of like the career navigation and also just the business and the psychology just around the industry. So, I, you know, my brother was funny. I grew up, I was always like an athlete, and my brother was always into theater. And he was actually a magician. So I would be his little like guinea pig. And I would always say, you know, Steve, what are your secrets? Like, tell me the secret. Let me know. And he's like, can you keep a secret? And I say, yeah, he goes, so can I. So I have respect. Yes, that's for... the classic,
2: the classic put down <laughs> or shut down line for any magician. Is, <laughs> the classic. Can you keep a secret? Yes, so can I. <laughs> I, I yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a classic. It's a little bit snarky, but uh, but it works.
1: Now, I'm going off the cuff here because I have a question I want to start off with. But per this like little banter, there was that one magician that had that one television show, the masked magician. I, yes. Before I even get... Because I have a whole interview and it's certain things I want to talk about. That had to absolutely irritate the hell out of all magicians, right? Where the masked magician would actually show the viewer the trick.
2: And, you know, I think that people have... The, the public has a very short memory. And even if they saw how something was done they wouldn't be able to put two and two together the next time they see a magician performing that same trick. So if, for example, if someone said to you, okay, here's how you can, uh, you know, fix the spark plugs in your car, in your car engine. yeah, Like you watch, me watch a YouTube video that shows how to fix your, you know, to fix the, the uh, suspension of your vehicle. You know, you say, "Okay, I see how it's done now. But if you give me a car, you know, three months from now where I have to actually do this myself, I could never do it. So it's still amazing. That's how I think of the, the, uh, the mass magician people. It goes in one ear and out the other.
1: Yeah, it's so true. It, Cause you can't even comprehend it. And and like you said, there's also different ways to do it. And maybe that's true. not the the one one size fits all. So I had to ask you sure. while I had you that and sure. I remember my brother used to like we were young, it's instilled on in my brain that he was like, Yeah, that guy's getting death threats. Like it's bad. Like
2: uh, and I be believe like, that he friend. probably did. I believe that he probably did. I think that he was in some sort of a a tax default situation and he needed the money. And the production company was offering him the exact money that he needed to pay off his taxes. So he was basically just digging himself out of a hole. From my understanding, I've never met the guy before, but that's what I heard through the grapevine of magicians.
1: Wow! All right, there. There's a little trading secret there. So you got to give your secrets, but you don't want to trade all the secrets. That's a lesson learned there. Now, one yep. thing about uh, Steve is I had the pleasure of going to your show and then meeting you after and speaking with you. And then I also have your book and read your book. And the one thing that stuck out to me, especially when I think about our listeners who are navigating either entrepreneurship or working as employees, is you said that everyone just like in life they want to experience a miracle. And yes, I think it starts with. Your tricks and your tricks are incredible, especially the one that you you finish with. But what also to me like is a miracle is like the presentation. And I actually asked you about it, but you know, guys, I want you to imagine you're in this room. There's, you know, you could correct me when I'm off on numbers, but 30 to let's say 50 people. And and Steve will perform for hours and he'll remember everybody's name and then reference them later in the show. And not only is it the actual magic you're doing, it's the performance of like the intimacy. You're remembering every person and where they're from. And it's just like to me, that blew, obviously, the magic blew me away, but that blew me away. That was a miracle. Now I think about our audience. What type of lessons or what type of like maybe memorization skills or tactics do you do to present a miracle to someone that maybe, uh, you know, Joe in Idaho can do when he meets with his boss next time or a client or tries to get someone new? What are some things you use from a stage present perspective, you know, that we could bring into our daily lives?
2: Sure thing. So, So I think what you're referencing is the idea of building community. And, you know, when you have a bunch of strangers that walk into a room and this can also be, let's say you're working, you know, in front of new clients or if you're working in a a boardroom or you're working with with committee members, you know, you're basically trying to build community. And when, when you build that community, then you're actually able to move forward with your own agenda, right? Because people are kind of polarized with what you're trying to say and what you're trying to get across. So that's what I try to do in the beginning of my show is I'm trying to take this room of Disparate people, people who come in from Idaho, from New York, from you know, from all over the world. And during, you know, before the pandemic, we had every show at least, you know, five or six people that would be coming from England or Australia or Japan or wherever they happen to be. You know, you have people who literally have nothing to do with each other. But by the end of the show, which is about an hour and 45 minutes long, I'm trying to get these people to feel like they're part of a group. And this is like a group mind. Hmm. Now, how do you do that? So one of the things I like to do is also is to to basically learn who these people are. And so uh, one way to do that, obviously, like you mentioned, is by capturing their names. Now, how do you remember people's names? That's, you know, it always goes in one ear and out the other. You may (laughs) not even go in your ear. You just, you know, you're always thinking about what you want to say next. And so when someone says their name, it just kind of zips right by you and you don't pay attention. So one of my closest friends, he's now 95 years old, is a man named Harry Lorraine. And Harry Lorraine is considered to be like the the Yoda of memory training. That's his his, uh, main quote. And uh, he teaches or has taught over the past like 75 years how to train your memory to be super powered. And I learned his courses and I've read his books and studied his techniques and figured out how to quickly remember his people's names and then be able to recall them also on the spot. And when someone hears their name, it becomes a a moment that they're instantly engaged in. So for example, if I say your name, Jason, Mm -hmm. you perk up, right? And if I say your name again, Jason, again, you're like, what? He -hmm. said my name. And imagine if it's a stranger saying your name in front of a group of people, you're definitely going to be paying attention to that stranger. (laughs) That's true. Right? So, right. So, so, you know, so let's say then that I'm remembering Jason, but I'm also remembering Uh, Kirby, and I'm remembering Katie, and I'm remembering Evan, and I'm remembering, you know, uh, uh, Alex, I'm remembering June, and I'm remembering all these people's names, suddenly people say, wait a minute, this guy is not just reciting a script, he's here for us, he's actually engaging with us personally, and that's what I talked about creating this feeling of community, is when people realize, oh, I could be called next, it could be me, Mm-hmm. And not only that, but he knows me. He knows my name. He knows something about me. He knows what I came with. And that's where people start to really start to lean in. And that's what you're aiming for as a presenter or as an entrepreneur is to get the audience or your prospective business collaborator to lean into you, right? So so here's some techniques that I've used to remember people's names. Mm-hmm. One of them is super simple. It's just repeating it and repeating right. it multiple times because you may not actually hear the other person say it, but you'll hear yourself say it. Hmm. So if someone says, if I say, hi, I'm Steve, what's your name? And you say, I'm Jason. And I say, hey, Jason, it's nice to meet you, Jason. Jason, let me ask you a question. Jason, I've got an idea. Oh. You see, I've already said your name five or five, five, five times. times. Yeah. Right? Huh. So when I say, and, and I learned this from a, a friend of mine who was also a student of Harry Lorraine. And it's because you're hearing yourself say it, that you can't help but remember it. So for example, if I have someone who's, you know, introduced himself, Hey, what's your name? My name is Kirby. Hey, Kirby. That's an interesting name. Kirby. Let me ask you a question. Kirby. And you see, I've already said Kirby's name four times. Right. And uh-huh. now I remember that name because I've heard it. It's like muscle memory. Yeah. So that's, that's a simple, that's a simple technique. Now, another technique that I've used uh, for remembering people's names is to associate it with someone who I know who has the same name. Okay. So let's say that, for example, I know a guy named Jason Kingsley, who I do. And, and then I, you introduce yourself and you say, my name is Jason. I go, oh, wait a minute. Why is Jason Kingsley here? Right? And, and that that sticks in my head. Like, there's my buddy, a guy who I've known for 25 years, is in the show. Oh, oh, Jason's here. And you're the Jason. Okay. So that's, that's how I'm able to trick myself into remembering the name is because I know someone else with that name. But let's say you come across someone who has a name that you don't know. And that's the trick, isn't it? When you could use that first technique I mentioned, you know, repeating it over and over again. But it's also really helpful, and this is what Harry Lorraine taught me. And by the way, Harry Lorraine, aside from being a great memory expert, is also a close-up magician. So we have a lot of uh, a lot in common. He he also teaches to take a name, and basically exploit the sound of the name, and turn it into something either grotesque or perverted, or something visually stimulating, so you mm-hmm. can't help but remember it. So, for example, your name is Jason, right? Yeah. So. I can picture, for instance, the sun, Jay sun, right? And I can picture uh, the sun, like, spurting out these little J's. Jay sun, right? Yeah, so, yeah, I, yeah. so when I look at your face, like, I see now you've got, like, a goatee. You've got black hair with a widow's peak. And I can picture, like, like your hair is not just black hair. It's actually on fire, like <laughs> the sun. And then it's spurting out J's, right? And uh-huh. so now I'm thinking, okay, I can't possibly forget that. When I look at you, I'm going to think Jay's son. Now for me, like my name is Steve, right? I've got uh, the name Steve. So in my hair, I've got reddish hair, I've got like the auburn hair. And so I'm not saying that hair has to be the key, but it, it does in this case. Sure. You know, you might think, okay, I meet this guy named Steve. Steve sounds like stove okay right gotcha. and my hair is on fire, fire. it's reddish oh, right okay. right so his stove is what where you get the, the fire so you picture like I, okay i click this guy's ear and then this, his hair goes on fire oh he's a stove therefore he's steep. and wow. you know in, in the beginning these little tricks take time but after a while they become so easy like then you you hear a name and you just kind of play with it and it becomes a name that you can instantly you know uh transform into a visual image
1: Fascinating. You often see people with their passions at an early age identified going full speed. And so, so many people that are listening to this have passions, but they're doing their other work or their other school or whatever it is. And so is that... Because I was going to say, you went to college and not only did you go to college, go to Ivy League. So that was part of the process is that even when you went to college, you knew that what you were taking away from your studies was going to just accelerate your passion in your long-term career. Yes.
2: Yeah. So sometimes I took a class where the, you know, the professor would give me a B and in my mind, I was say, no, no, I gave myself an A because I actually got more of, out of this than the professor gives me credit for. Ooh. So there are times where I learned in, in psychology class or in mostly in psychology, actually, but also in some of my design classes, I took out ideas that there is no way that the, the grade that I got equated to what I actually personally took away from it and it's only because I was looking at it through my own lens and I was trying to see things that maybe the professor wasn't even intending me to see for instance you know what if there are two objects moving uh, which one does the eye follow the eye will follow the faster one or the one that starts to move first and so for me that was in a psychology class a really important uh, area to pay attention to and, you know, I ended up getting probably, I don't know, a B or a B minus my paper, but <laughs> I really learned something of how to apply that to my own work. And it's served me throughout my career. But what, what I, I think it what, might be interesting. What's the answer to that though? I can't, oh, I can't leave that. Is it faster I, or first? It's the object that's moving first. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. primacy and recency. And also knowing that there's an intention behind that movement. That's the other thing. There's, there's so much psychology in magic. It's really the foundation of why magic tricks work so for instance like if i put my, if i say to you my pocket is empty you're not going to believe me right yeah. but if i reach into my pocket and take out a bunch of things that are inside there then i don't even have to say anything and you just assume that the pocket is empty mm right it's like it's just yeah. a kind of a reverse psychology yeah and i don't have to say i don't have to say anything but just by taking a bunch of junk out like my my wallet or my keys throw them sure. onto the table now you just assume okay the pocket's empty because he cleared it why would he leave anything else inside there? right so so these are like little little tricks that you know that people don't often pay attention to if you're not in the field however what i wanted to tell you and this is actually really goes to what you mentioned about having a passion and then having separate work yeah. that would kind of support your work so i lived in japan for many years and when i came back from Japan. I got work as an interpreter, translator, Japanese translator, translating Japanese documents, whether they were pot patents or legal contracts, all sorts of uh, manuals written in Japanese that I needed to translate into English for my clients. And that was what allowed me, the money that I earned from that job allowed me to be able to putter around in a new city when I was living in New York without having very many gigs as a performer. And, you know, I think having that that day job that supports your, perhaps your night show or night passion. Uh, you know, it was really important and it's a really kind of a great strategy that works, not just for me, but for many people having a steady stream of income, but what you don't want to fall prey to is the complacency of saying, well, I guess this is how it's always going to be. I guess I'm always going to be a translator and my passion for magic is going to be on the sideline. You know, there's gotta be a point where you say, you know something I've had enough." And now's the moment where I'm going to throw it. I'm going to basically cut off all ties to my previous source of income mm-hmm. and go all in. And for me, that time, it was a very stressful and, and scary time. I, uh, I didn't want to work as an interpreter anymore. I wanted to purely do magic shows. That was my, my goal. But I remember my father called me up once and he said, Steve, when's your next show? And I said, it's not for another five months. And he said, OK, well, I guess you're going to have to get a real job. And, and, and those five or 10 words, you have to get a real job, seven words, right? Those really triggered me. And I said, no, I, now I'm really going to push myself to make sure that I can get, I can make a foothold in New York city, the most competitive theater town in the world uh, as, as a magician. And so that's when I decided to launch my show chamber magic. It was when, when I knew that waiting for other people to hire me was folly. If I was going to wait for people to hire me to do a a corporate gig or a, a you know a social event or wherever it happened to be, I didn't want to have to be prey to their convenience. I wanted to take the driver's seat. And so I basically put up a shingle saying, I have my own show. Come to me, buy tickets from me and you can see me. That's creating a whole different paradigm, right? It's not saying I'm going to wait for, I'm not going to wait for people to raise their hands to say, Hey, I, you know, I want you to do a show. Can you come to us? I said, no, no. no if you want to see me come to me and that whole paradigm shift really changed my career. But having said that it wasn't easy. Like in the very beginning for the first two years, I was basically lying to my wife every week, telling her that we were breaking even when in fact we were losing money. Cause I had, wow. I, I got a gig first at the national arts club. Then I moved the show to the Waldorf Astoria through a personal connection I had there. And I was doing the show for just under two years, and I was making no headway. I mean, it was Whoa. begging people to come to the show, begging them to beg their friends to come to the show. And after a while, you run out of friends, yeah. right? Your social influence isn't infinite, right? It, it just, sure. you know, it's, it's it's definitely finite. So I was ready to throw in the towel. And then uh-huh. at one, uh, about maybe a year and ten months into the show. I got very fortunate. There was, a, this is before the internet was big. It was like, you know, we were still sending out postcards to people to try to get them to come. Yeah. Uh, so it was like Stone Age. But I remember a, an editor from a website called, it wasn't even a website, it was like a, an email blast called Daily Candy came yeah. to the show and she watched the show and loved it. And then she sent out an email blast to her list, which is probably like 200,000 people. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the show was sold out for a year. Wow from one email blast. Wow. okay, And it was just finding the right person who really believed in me and wrote this two-paragraph little essay about it. And then suddenly her followers were like zombies and did whatever they told, were told to do. And then a, a few months later than that, someone from CBS Sunday Morning came, a producer, and said, hey, you know, we, we think we want to film you. Uh, would you be interested in, in being on our show? And I was like, absolutely. This is a national exposure, national broadcast. So they came and they filmed the show. They put it on And within four days, so there was the show aired on a Sunday. Within four days, we had sold around $600,000 worth of tickets. And by the end of the week, a million dollars worth of tickets. Wow. And this is for a a kid who grew up in, you know, in Westchester, some kid who does card tricks for a living, you know, (laughs) suddenly has a million dollars in ticket sales in a week. And it blew my mind. It was like watching the little mm-hmm. dials on a slot machine spinning around as fast as that the, the back end of my of the uh, ticket sales uh webpage i sure. could see the numbers just tick 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 it was unreal to me and then about six months later they re-aired that segment on cbs sunday morning and the same thing happened again another million dollars of ticket sales oh my god and so so now this show that that i was you know basically you know lying to my wife and and like you know telling her that we were breaking even was not only breaking even it was actually bringing in some serious money, and over the course of the past twenty years, it's grossed over twenty-five million dollars. Oh so my gosh! That's, that's you know a crazy uh, happenstance, but it doesn't just ha- it didn't just happen. Like none of this just kind of fell <laughs> into my lap. It was a lot of, you know, strategic thinking. And one of my best friends is a guy named Mark Levy. Uh, Mark Levy is a business strategist. He's also a magician. All, all my friends somehow seem to be magicians. Um, so I'd probably get along really well with your brother because he was a magician. <laughs> you would. I don't know about, he's I don't know about years you, too. Uh, thank you, thank you. I don't know about you, Jason, <laughs> but, uh, but but uh, anyway, so Mark Levy said to me, He said, Look, you have to figure out a way to make yourself different from all the other magicians that are out there. In other words, you have to differentiate yourself. And he happens to be a differentiation specialist. That's his expertise. Wow, Interesting. So, so he said, What is it that you do that makes you special? And I'm like, I don't know. I do card tricks and you know, I do this great trick called think a drink, where I can pour any drink that people ask for. He goes, That's all that's all great, you know, like people love that those things. But what is it really that you're about? What's different? And so he gave me a whole kind of a battery of questions. And, and again, this is about like 15 more or more years ago now. And he said, the thing he said, the thing that I noticed is different about you is that you feel comfortable around wealth, around people who are extremely well to do. Sure. And he said, he said, he said, essentially you're doing magic for the filthy rich. And Mm -hmm. I said, okay, well I can never say that to people in public, right? Because that'd be turning plenty of people off Magic for the filthy rich. That just seems (laughs) absurd. But he said, but you're performing for millionaires and billionaires. And I said, Hey, stop it right there. There was an article that was published about me in this magazine called Avenue Magazine, um, Upper East Side type of magazine. And they um, called me the millionaire's magician, just as like kind of a catchphrase in yeah. the article. And he said, stop right there. That's what you need to call yourself. The millionaire's magician. I was like, no, 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 that's so tacky. If I call myself that, people, might, everyone's going to laugh at me. And so I, I told the idea to my parents, they said, don't do it. I told the idea to my wife, she said, Don't do it. My (laughs) kids at the time were too small, so they didn't say anything. But but like all my friends were like, Don't do that. It'd be so stupid to call yourself the millionaire's magician. And other magicians I spoke to were like, that is absurd. Just don't even (laughs) don't even touch that. And then Mark said to me, he said, look, he says, Who do you trust? He said, I've got a track record working with you know with really big corporations and really big uh you know people in media fields you know, do you trust my intuition? And I said, well, yeah, you know, you haven't served me wrong before. He says, print yourself some business cards, start calling yourself the millionaire's magician. Your catchphrase can be entertainment for exclusive events. And he said, if you're not willing to give up the $2,000 gig, you'll never get the $20,000 gig. There's a huge marketing lesson right there. And that phrase really stuck with me. And what what I learned from that was something, I learned this later, is there's something called Veblen Goods. And Veblen Goods is named after uh, an economist whose last name is Veblen. I forget his first name, it was like Antonio or something. But uh, Veblen, he came up with the idea also of conspicuous consumption. That was also one of his theories. Mm. But but his idea was that a Veblen Good is an item that the higher the price, the more desired it becomes. It's like any luxury item. sure, like Philippe, Louis Vuitton, Cartier, Porsche or Lamborghini, the higher the price, the more people will want to own it or purchase it. And so, so that's counter to the typical economic curve of demand versus supply, right? So mm-hmm. typically the price goes up and the, the demand will go down only because there's some sort of uh, you know intersection. But with a Veblen good, the price goes up and then the demand continues to rise in league with that. You see, oh, of course, and and so and so. What Mark said to me, and what I later learned, is that if you are the high fruit on the tree, there will be people who will reach to pick it, and that's what I've basically modeled my whole career after. Now, of course, if you do choose that route, you have to have a quality product, right? You can't be putting out something which is subpar. You can always trick someone into into coming to your event once or buying something from you once. But if you remember when you came to Chamber Magic, Sure. You know, I asked everyone, raise your hand if you've been to the show before. And at every show, there's like five or six hands that go up out of mm-hmm. an audience of 60 people. So 10% of the audience has been there before and they're returning because they enjoy themselves and they want to bring other people with them. Right. So so that's 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 what I'm trying to say is that you know, you have to have a quality product so that when you start to increase your price, people don't start saying, What a ripoff. This guy's a total rip-off artist. Right. If yeah. I was charging if I was charging, you know, $100,000 per ticket, people might say, okay, that was not worth the money. <laughs> right? So you have to find what your tipping point is. But but for me, I found that tipping point, having done the show now around over 6,000, close to 7,000 times, you know, I figured out what the market is in New York City. And that's also based on the fact that New York is a theater town, right? So, you know, I know that like, you know, if you go to Hamilton, you're going to be spending $750 for a sure. ticket. So, so there was a time when we were charging $750 for tickets to my show, which is pricey for a magic show unquestionably, but there were always people who were paying it.
1: Let me ask you this. So Veble Goods, so many takeaways from what your business strategy was and how you got to where you are today. But if someone is coming out like a Veble & Good, you have to have a good, you have to have a good quality product. You had mentioned that for two years, you guys were actually losing money. So going into a strategy like that has this high risk because you have to, you have to first build the demand. And the one thing that I find interesting is if, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know this industry well, but just from the research I did, if you look at like a, a, I don't know, like a David Blaine or a David Copperfield, or even like a Houdini, I think some of the strategies they deployed is they wanted to sell out like the biggest venues with the most tickets at the highest volume. And what you did was the exact opposite, right? You have a small intimate show. So did you ever consider that this strategy was not the right strategy in those first two years when you couldn't really fill the audience and then my question to you is right now you talked about price tickets changing based on hamilton stuff i think now i looked and they're in like about 150 to like 350 400 uh, range right. at like this current right. moment so right. how did those prices change from when you first opened your show
2: okay so so when i first opened the show the ticket price was i think yeah i remember now it was $52 per ticket okay and okay. that was because i thought you know in a deck of playing cards right i've got a deck <laughs> of cards right here every okay. deck of cards has 52 cards so i think i'll charge you a dollar per deck a dollar mm-hmm. per card and that ended up being kind of stupid because nobody got the joke <laughs> and we were like okay $52 what the hell this isn't working <laughs> uh, it doesn't it doesn't seem to make sense so so eventually though um we raised the prices you know over over time it went up to $60, 75, 85, 100 and you know hitting that $100 mark for me was kind of momentous because i thought there was like going to be a mental uh, barrier or a mental like a uh, you know leap for people to spend over $100 for a magic show ticket it hadn't been done before like especially in new york city and for such a small venue like you mentioned you know it was almost absurd and and that's why people were curious like well, wait a minute what's this thing we have to get dressed up get to go <laughs> into the penthouse of the Waldorf Astoria hotel the fanciest hotel in town on Park Avenue and and you get a chance to see close up magic that's intimate that sounds like it may be worth it and so you know people it, just something clicked now you mentioned before about doing something in a larger venue for as many people as possible see in my mind i always thought the opposite i always thought rather than getting a short term career where I would sell out a bunch of arenas, let's say, in a short period of time, Mm -hmm. I wanted to make my show a 20-year gig. And that was always in my head from day one. I said, even if the first two years are difficult, this is going to be a 20-year gig. And that's what a lot of entrepreneurs do too, is think of an exit. Like, when am I going to exit this? Maybe that's at a certain number. Maybe it's a certain uh, period of time. But for me, it was a period (laughs) of time. Um, The number wasn't even... I had no idea where I could take this because it hadn't been done before. So, so. I thought okay if I could if I could make a career in New York City for 20 years at the end I will be satisfied with myself that would have been a career well created or well well lived sure and yep. and so so any show that I did along the way even if it didn't make much money or if it was a failure or I made mistakes those in my mind were to be expected not only did they not bother me or phase me they were to be expected because I knew that eventually I'm going to get to that 20 year mark. And by then I'd better be damn good, right? <laughs> because if you're doing anything for 20 years, you better be good or just, you know, get the hell out. Get out. So, you know, those small speed bumps, never really, it was almost like a grain of sand in, in, in the beach, never really bothered me. And yeah. if there was a show where maybe there was a, an epic fail, where a trick didn't work or I made a joke that didn't land or people walked away saying, Oh, that was horrible or maybe there was only 15 people in the audience or five people in the audience. Like that to me didn't matter. None of those things matter because I knew that my goal was not this individual show. This is just a stepping stone to my goal, which was the 20 year mark.
1: Got it. I love the long-term planning. And again, that's something that any business owner and strategist could look at. I also think that one thing that's really cool is when you talked about the word of mouth and and creating a community experience, as you're telling this, I'm going back to my experience when I went to the show. And exactly right. Like we wore our suits and we had ties on. And I remember having to tell people, people are like, I was like at a dinner after I'm like, Hey guys, just so you know, we're going to be in full suits. And they're like, well, why? And well, we're going to this magic show. We're going to this magic show. We got to dress up for it. We're going to the Waldorf. Everyone is like, it's kind of catchy. It's like, wait, what? So it's part of also this marketing, like anyone branding, anything out there, when you create that, like, wow, what factor people just want to know more. They want to know more. One question I got to ask you Steve, because we only got about five minutes or so with you. Is I know that there was one point in your career, I believe it was early two thousands, where you had, I think you had two hundred thousand in savings. You said, and then the two hundred thousand savings was diminished. And I know you had mentioned earlier when you made that twenty five bucks, you had instantly reinvested in your business. So I was curious if you could touch on that moment where where you almost quit, and and also additionally to that, what are so like so that's something no one talks about. Like, what is the cost? of these tricks, of being a magician, of who knows, the audio, the lighting, like what does that look like from a business perspective?
2: Okay, so, you know, when my back was against the wall and I was, like I mentioned before, you know, losing money at every performance, lying to my wife, which by the way, is a really bad business strategy. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) Listener, do not lie to your spouse or your loved one, you know, in (laughs) order to like advance your own career is just a mistake. always be honest. That's what I've learned over the course of being married for 28 years now is, is really, you know, honesty is the best policy, but like, I I just had it in my head that no matter what, I'm going to make this work. So that at my, at that point was back against the wall. I was just reaching for straws. You know, it makes you very resourceful. And, you know, you start to think out what they say outside the box. I hate that phrase, but you you start to think of other avenues that might be ways to get people in to see what you're trying to sell them. And so Again, remember I was doing this before the internet. So I was trying to oh. uh you know contact people uh, I mentioned by postcards. I remember going through the <laughs> New York City white pages telephone book. This is as how ancient I am. <laughs> and uh I'm like Rip Van Winkle. So so like I would go through the, the the Steve Cohen section. My name is Steve Cohen, so I would go through the Steve Cohen section in the white pages in New York City. And because it's such a common Jewish name, you know, there's so yeah. many Steve cohen's There literally were three and a half pages of people named Steve <laughs> Cohen, Stephen Cohen, uh S. Cohen. Like there was just yeah. so many people with my name that what I did was I sent a postcard to every one of them. And these postcards said, Come see the Steve Cohen magic show. And people were looking at these in the mail, in their mailbox, and looking at it saying, What the hell is a Steve Cohen magic show? And believe it or not, it worked. Wow. And I was, like I said, like thinking outside the box, you know. I figured out a way to pique people's interest in something that they literally would have no, otherwise have no interest in. And it was partially because of vanity, right? Like they're looking at their own name on a postcard saying, well, is this guy also named Steve Cohen? Like me? Or like, did he make this postcard just for me? Like it was, there were so many questions and then people would come to the show and afterwards they'd say, Hey, you'll never guess my name. I'm like, well, I think I can, Uh, you know, because that was the whole strategy. But that was one idea. Another idea was I figured out a way to send out email blasts because this was the email was still kind of a, a, a new thing at that time, the early 2000s. And email blast services were also pretty popular. So so I figured out a theater targeted audience list and sent out advertisements, basically. So you can get two for one or you can get a discount discounted like 30% off or whatever it was to get people in the door. Because I knew that once I got them in the door, I could convert them. Right. Got That's it. when my whole system or my funnel would actually start to, to take place or take take effect is because as long as I got them into the seats, get the bums in the seats that they say in England, you know, you get the bums in seats and then I can I can do my job and keep them coming back. But how does how much does it all cost? So you're asking about like expenses, you know, obviously, since I'm working at a hotel, I've got a rental fee sure. for the space that I'm using and because I am I have long term uh, commitments with with the hotel. And and I was at the Waldorf Astoria. Now I'm at the Lotte New York palace. And you came to the show at the palace hotel. It's on Madison and 50th street. Absolutely beautiful. 19th century mansion. I mean, it's stunning. Like walking into Versailles. So, so, so that space has, you know, I have a a long-term arrangement with the hotel. So we have a, a rental fee. I also have now a COVID specialist someone who's, who's basically dealing with checking people in at the front of the show, uh, who, are dealing with, you know, COVID uh, protocols. And that's something I never had to deal with before, right? Mm-hmm. Now all theater events have to have someone who's checking people's vaccination cards, do temperature checks and questionnaires. And then I'll also have my own usher. So I've got my, got my fixed expenses are my usher, my COVID protocol person. I have an assistant. I've got the ticketing company who I have to pay a percentage of tickets cost to right there's a percentage that they take from each ticket sold i've got my publicists, and then i've got the, uh, the company that makes my website and my digital assets mm-hmm. and also the social media uh, team that helps me with my social media
1: sure
2: so it's really like about seven i might be missing one maybe eight people that are that are also on my payroll and these are people who you know are with me a lo- for a long time. like I have some staff members that have been working with me for 15 years. Wow. And that means I take good care of them. Exactly. You, know, you, 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 don't, you don't get longevity with pe- treating Without people like, yeah, so, treating people like just the help. So the these one, are people, they become members of my family.
1: Right. But the one line item, and I know we're wrapping up here, but the one, the line item I didn't hear you say was the trick. Like, do you, is there a lot of money that goes into the trick or is that mostly just from the magician's ingenuity and effort?
2: Okay. Well, I mean, any trick will take time and money to create, right? Yeah. So, so if I, for example, want to have something built, a special prop, I have to, I can't just go to Best Buy and <laughs> <ask> <laughs> to, for the part. Like it's just not where I work. It's so, whole different where you, can't, where you can't walk in, you know, walk into like, you know, Walgreens and say, okay, I Home need Depot, or... <laughs> for Home Depot. So, so, you know, these are all you know, specially made items that, that I work with builders, like, you know, people wow. who are in, in the industrial design, you know, uh, businesses. And so some of these items are, are, terribly expensive, but sometimes they're just prototypes and they never even make the stage. So I'll put in, let's say $10,000 into an item that never gets used, you know, or maybe gets used once or maybe used a couple of times. So, so then I have to just try to keep on tweaking it and tweaking it. And it's, it's a whole long process. There's a time, there are some tricks that I've worked on for two, three years before they're ready to be on stage. But other neat. things that because of, because of my skill set, you know, cause again, I practice magic literally every day. Like I have a mirror right next to my, my, my computer. So I'm practicing talking to you. I, I can be practicing over here uh, with my sleight of hand skills that this, my, sle- my skill set will allow me to learn a trick pretty quickly. But that if it's cool. something, but if it's something that requires something to be built, that could be take time. And then the rehearsals that go into it, you know, it could go 10, $25,000 per trick you know, wow. depending on what the item is. And then if you have someone like David Copperfield, who's a friend of mine, and you know, we, we talk regularly, he's got items that are, he's been working on for years that will cost multiples of that. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm talking ten to $25,000. His might cost $250,000. So mm-hmm. these are items that, you know, you can't just, they're not just off the rack or off the shelf. They're tailor-made.
1: Custom-built, tailor-made. All right, Steve, we are one minute over the time we have you for, but we have to end with two things, a trading secret and where people can go to your show and find you. So if you could wrap us up with one trading secret from your career navigation or financial lessons, anything that someone couldn't find in a textbook or Google or to learn in a classroom, what would your trading, trading secret be, Steve?
2: Okay. So my secret is something I learned from my mentor. Her name is Holly Peppy And Holly Peppy was and is a, uh, a professor of poetry. She once said to me that poetry is not the most important thing in the world unless it is. And I took that to mean in my world, magic is not the most important thing in the world unless it is to me, right? And I mm-hmm. my passion then Parlays to the audience's pleasure because they realize that I'm really invested in this exchange that we're having. It's not just me, you know, spewing something one way. It's really about the the given get, give and take. So that's one thing I learned from Holly. But another thing that's perhaps even more pertinent to your listeners is she said, "Don't push the river. You have to let it flow." And this okay. is a a statement that apparently comes from an African proverb. And you know, whenever you're starting a business, you want it to be successful right away, right? You want to see some results for the efforts that you're putting into it. And I know from my personal experience, I started this show, Chamber Magic, and I wanted to see it filled, like in my mind. I knew that I could make this into a great success, but I wanted that to happen right now. And the real world doesn't work the way that you expect it to, yeah. right? So you know, the world is a big place, and all the it takes a long time to reach the number of people that gets that critical mass to know about what you're even offering before you can start to enjoy the spoils of your labor. So what she said is don't push the river. You have to let it flow. And what that meant to me was to let this happen in real time and allow that be patient and persistent. And knowing that I have a 20 year timeline, don't get all worked up. If it's not happening right away, like look to the longer term, and say okay it's not happening how as fast i thought i was going to but it's still going to work if i don't give up yeah. and and that persistence plus the patience really helped me in moderating my career
1: Steve, those are two great ones. I like magic isn't the most important thing in the world unless it is. You're listening right now. Think about what you could substitute that magic for. What is that to you? And don't push the river. You have to let it flow. I love that because it aligns perfectly with you and your first two years not being a success, but 20 plus years later, you're doing four shows a week, plus filling the place out, selling it out at primetime seating. So Steve, this has been a pleasure. I could literally talk to you for hours, but unfortunately, we're going to cut this off just because we know we both have busy schedules. But Steve, where can people come see the show? Where can people find you? Where can people find your books? Give us all a little bit more, Steve Cohen. Where can we get it?
2: Okay, sure. So the website is chambermagic.com. and that's the name of the show chamber magic uh it runs every week at the lote new york palace so you know i'm always there it's every weekend if you do come please make sure that you introduce yourself after the show i'm very accessible i'd love to hear that you came to the show uh, after having listened to this interview uh so that would be great i have several books out like you mentioned the most recent one is the one that's sitting over your shoulder confronting magic Uh, And that book is available on my website, also chambermagic.com. I'd be happy to autograph that to people if you're interested. And that's a book that's published by Asseline, which is one of the world's most prestige art book publishers. They deal with books and subjects such as, you know, Rolex and Ferraris and all the luxury items. But this is the first time they've ever done a book about magic. And the cover is is made of silk. It's like a really something it's something else. It? Forward was written by Guillermo del Toro, the famous film director, because he's been to the show several times. Anyway, that's that's the thing I'm I'm really proud of and hope that people get a chance to read but on the website i've got a whole bunch of cool things that people would be interested in i i make my own cards so these, these playing cards are cards that i designed uh, w- along with theory 11 which is a playing card design company so those are also available on my website and a bunch of other co- made a comic book made with with artists who write who draw for batman and, and uh for also for daredevil and marvel and dc comics so these artists are top of top of the line so these are all things that are on the on the site and i think people get a real kick out of it if you have any interest in magic or if you have any friends to do.
1: Absolutely. Chambermagic.com guys. I will talk about it in the recap But my experience at the show was unbelievable. Whether it is a date night, just going out with friends, it's really a night you'll never forget. And you'll refer to often. So Steve, thank you so much for giving us your time here, giving us a few of your trading secrets. Of course, not your total secrets. And we will respect that. But guys, go check out Steve Cohen, chambermagic.com. And Steve,
2: thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolutely. If you get me really drunk, then I might trade a few more secrets.
1: (laughs) Next time we got something to look forward to. I love it. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate it. Ding, ding, ding. We are closing in the bell. And we have a little bit of change of pace with this closing recap because not only do we have the curious Canadian himself, but we have the luxury of having my brother, Stephen Tardick. You might remember him. Season 14 of The Bachelorette. Hometowns absolutely stole the show and stole the trending on Twitter. That was supposed to be my hometown, but Stephen took over. As I mentioned in the interview, Stephen was a magician growing up. So his perspective uh, is one we want to catch on this recap. So, David, I usually kick it to you, but Stephen, I'm going to kick it to you first. Thank you for being here. And you had mentioned that you actually had worked with Steve Cohen in the past.
0: Yeah, I work in uh, I work in theater advertising in New York. And at an old job, uh, Steve came to us uh, for work on his website. So I redesigned his website at this point about six years ago. And uh, yeah, really loved working with him then.
1: That's awesome. And so when he came about, uh, so our talent booker, Evan Sarr, actually brought him to my attention. And I said, you know, I haven't heard of him, but I will get a good review from my brother. So I asked Steve, asked you what you thought of him and you raved about him. You're like, it's unbelievable. When you walk into his show, it looks like you're in this mansion. There's no other magician like him. So you knowing, being a fan of the magic game and actually being a magician, that's how my brother, by the way, earned his living in high school doing magic shows. What's your take on him as an overall magician and kind of like his model when you look at the whole industry as a a whole?
0: Yeah. I mean, Steve is a... He's an icon in the industry for completely doing things his own way and making it work. I mean, you talked about this a bit, but he didn't follow any of the manuals on what a successful magic career looks like. You know, he he doesn't have a trunk of red and yellow and blue props that he drags from children's birthday party to children's birthday party. And he's also not filling up arenas or Las Vegas hotels uh, with giant illusions. Um, so he he's carved his own path and you know, he's found a lot of success with it and he's very well respected in the magic community for it. And also the theater community, you know, he mentions, like he, he is a mainstay in New York performing arts uh, and, you know, he's, he's very respected in both spaces.
1: Yeah, but one thing I'm curious, like you, so you have ownership in a digital media and social media and marketing agency, right? So every day you are working to create impressions uh, at a greater mass so that people will inevitably come see a Broadway show. He talks about it in this podcast word of mouth. I mean, to me, it's impressive he's been able to do it. But it also transparently seems a little dated. I mean, like, what's your take on the way that he's used word of mouth to grow? But it works. It's, he's been doing it for 20 years. So clearly it works.
0: Look, if you were in an ad meeting 40 years ago, everyone would say, What sells tickets? Word of mouth. Like, word yeah. of mouth is the thing. That is, it's the most potent and valuable tool you have when you're selling anything. And anyone who tells you that advertising is more important than word of mouth has lost their mind. Like someone uh, uh, tries something out, they like it, they want to tell other people about it. That is what is going to tip you into giving someone else money faster than anything else. Uh, It's challenging to rely on word of mouth only on scale. Right. That's the problem. Like if you have to sell out 2000 tickets a night, it's hard to just hope everyone will chatter about it. Where when you're selling a smaller number, you know, 100, uh, there's a different uh, there's a different vibe. But, and the other key thing, and you, you guys got to this, but like word of mouth requires something to be truly unique. Otherwise, you know, you, you, I don't talk about my toothpaste. I like yeah. my toothpaste. If you ask me what toothpaste <laughs> you should use, I'll tell you. But like, I'm not running around talking about it. Where having to put on a suit and go to this like bizarre, fancy suite in a you know chic hotel—that's it's different. It's strange in a good way. So it's that, that it gives him the stickiness for
3: word of mouth. What kind of toothpaste do you use? <laughs> I use the Crest toothpaste. Okay.
2: okay. <laughs>
1: Now that we know that, David, now I want you to imagine this, right? So, just so, so that's a good point, right? When you have such an outlying experience, word of mouth obviously is more contagious, and that, that goes for anybody out there that's starting a business or or trying to make impression what they're doing. But so, Stephen, there's this trick. You know this trick. What's it called? With the uh, what is it called? Think, think a drink. Think a drink. Okay. So what happens, David, is everyone goes around the room, and you have to write. Any drink you can imagine on a little ticket, you can write ice hot coffee, you could write gin martini, you could write, you know, strawberry Kool-Aid, and it goes in this means of mixing it. And then Steven, what happens from there, right? He randomly picks it like you can describe this trick better than me. Explain this trick to Dave.
0: Yes. Has, has everyone in the audience think of a drink? He then selects people from the audience. He's holding a kettle the whole time. He asks people, you know, what drink is on your mind? And someone says a martini and he says, oh, a gin martini or a vodka martini. They say vodka. Uh, and he, so he says, uh, do you, uh, olives or with a twist? And They say with a twist. And he grabs a shot glass and he just pours his kettle and out comes a gin martini with, the, with a lemon flavoring it is and then and then the next drink is hot cocoa and the next drink is high c like it is mind blowing all with the kettle in vit- your view no funny business just pour pour pour
1: it's and he did in our group, he did macchiato and literally said to the person iced or not iced. And we knew who the person was, so we knew it wasn't a plant and they got it right. So, first of all, I, David, what's like your when you see that, when you hear that, and he does it over and over, do you have any questions for the magician himself?
3: I mean, you could only imagine me watching magic and my reactions. Like, I am jaw on the floor, can't believe it, won't believe it on spending 10 hours researching how he how the person does that um so i i love magic i'm i am like 101 magic feed it to me i will always be entertained i'm curious like steven you've been doing it for a long time when you go to a magic show what percent of tricks and you know it's going to vary depending on the magician but are you what percent are you like, ah, I know how you did that. Or, oh, I've seen this one. And what percent are you like, I'm blown away?
0: There are principles of magic that are true and used across the board. And the princ- regardless of the specific methodology, the principles remain the same. And when I watch a magic show, I'm very aware Of Some of these principles, like Mm -hmm. how, how is this person in front of me misdirecting? I can, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, you want me to look over here? Or uh, how is this person leading me uh, to a decision? So I often know the principles Um, that's, and and oftentimes the actual technique, the, uh, the specific skill, half the time I know it, half the time I don't. Uh, but when I watch a magic show, I I try as much as I can to turn that part of my brain off and like go with the flow. Um, magic is just a lot more fun when you are riding the wave and you're you're yeah. going along with it. As opposed, the, the the thing magicians are always looking for in the audience are the people who are you know squinting and looking. They're they're trying to catch the magician in the moment because those are bad audience members. You know they're not. They're not having fun. They're like working. And um, it it sort of takes down the fun for everybody else. So
1: Okay. So let me ask you this though, right? So if you go to a Broadway show, there are certain actors and actresses who have a... Certain differentiating factor. Maybe they're the best dancer to ever be on Broadway. Maybe they're the best singer. Let's talk athletics, right? You have some of the best golfers because you could see a Bryson DeChambeau, who I don't expect you to know, Stephen, but he could hit the ball longer than <laughs> anything, right. So that's his differentiating skill set. In the world of magic, when you see think a drink, even though you know the underlying principles is that a trick that you think most professional magic magicians can completely figure like do on their own? Or would you say that is a specific differentiator like Bryson to driving the ball longer than anybody uh, Steve to a magic trick?
0: That is an iconic effect that uh, there might be other magicians performing that, but Steve, that is Steve's effect and he does it better than anybody else. And it, you know, there are very few magicians that get to own a trick like that. He's one of them. So that's okay. that is um
1: that's a high so that's him. That's goat material. That
0: is tell him. me his jam.
1: That's his jam. Okay. Now tell me about the whole idea of this. He mentioned a lot about Harry Lorraine, who helped him with the memory training, and then he talked a lot about how magic is a lot of psychology. And I think in almost all aspects of life, psychology or the study of psychology can come back to the world in which we operate. You can talk about politics, you can look at debates, how they use psychology in and, and their physical and their, and their mental and their verbal exchanges, psychology and business in selling and in interviewing, so many aspects. For you, when you heard him talk about Harry Lorraine and when you were a magician growing up, what are some other takeaways? What are some other psychology tricks and, and tips that you use Used. Like he had mentioned the one about like an object that's moving first. If it's moved with the right intention, you will follow that. Were there any other like methods or principles you use that maybe you use in your business world today?
0: Well, you two were talking about the psychology around the na- using people's names and right. remembering people's names. I think it's worth diving into what's at the heart of that, which is connecting with a person, right? Because yeah. the minute you feel respected by this person and you feel like they're on your team. You're immediately rooting for them, right? Like you want this person. You want You want this person to succeed, um, and you want to help them succeed. And if you think about that, like what is more helpful for a magician than having somebody who's on their side and who's also when when you're skeptical of somebody, your shoulders are up. You're you're, you're, you know, you're being really discriminating about every last thing. You're grilling them. The minute you're connecting with someone, you relax. And all of a sudden you let your guard down a little bit and you're, you know, you're more engaging with their eyes. You know, you're making contact with their eyes and you're, when they talk to you and they're looking at you, you're looking at them. And there is nothing a magician likes more than when you are locked here and not over here or over there, you know? So I think that the psychology of connection is true for magic. Honestly, it's as true for my day job of designing posters for Broadway shows when I'm pitching what a logo should be Uh, It's that same connection is how I get to the finish line there as well.
1: So, we talked a little bit about the psychology, we talked about the naming stuff, and this is Steve Cohen's show, obviously. But then I start thinking about guys like David Blaine, who who have done just incredible features out there. Like, you would know these again better than me, I'm curious, but the one where he was like in New York Times Square in like a tomb for three days and he does these extravagant events. How do you compare like a David Blaine to a Steve Cohen? And is David Blaine stuff more just like, mental, physical wherewithal? Or is that, would you consider magic too?
0: Uh, Steve Cohen is a classic parlor magician. And that's a phrase for a magician who performs standing up in front of a small gathering of people. So part of the joy of his show is just how... vintage and classic it is. He's wearing a tux. If you were to see a magic show in 1890, it would feel a lot like seeing Steve Cohen's show in 2021. David Blaine is doing a whole different thing. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, D- David Blaine, especially in his current career, has really shifted to this, these like feats um, that, that actually don't feel Magical, you know, I'll stand on a pole for a day or get frozen or go underwater, and they're physical feats. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that's good for everyone to keep in mind is anytime you're seeing somebody do something um, that purports to be purely physical or purely um, that 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 seems um otherworldly or sort of um impossible and they have any sort of connection to magic, there might be some hybrid material coming through. And this really comes through with mentalism, which is often associated with magic too. There are mentalists. You know, magic goes under many different languages.
1: So in, in some... I mean, is magic just marketing and entertainment?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, magic is... The fun thing for anyone who's looking for a hobby, magic is an amazing hobby because it, it has but part of its performance, which is fun. Part of it is technical skills. I mean, you might recall me with a deck of cards for hours and hours and hours trying to (laughs) do one tiny little move and spending weeks so that a tiny thing was invisible. And then part of it is invention. And it's it's taking all of these technical skills, taking the performance and merging them to create something altogether new. So it, it really covers invention, performance, and technique. And so yeah, magicians kind of uh can fall into any of those buckets.
3: For my old boss, I was at his hedge fund's holiday party and they had a magician and this guy was the definition of electric. And he had our like attention captivated for way too long and he started doing these tricks that were that he was able to tie in our cell phones. So, have you ever heard of magic like that and it was the most bizarre thing ever. Um yeah, it's funny,
0: just... um, magicians have a, a strange relationship to technology because a lot of technology is magical as far as how it impacts our lives. So if uh, I have a device in my pocket that can give me any piece of information ever, it it, require, it sort of can demystify things. Uh, nowadays, people are starting to think about how to do magic that involves technology, like you know, can I predict your passcode on your phone, for instance? There's like new tricks in that space, um, but it, it's a new frontier for magicians in just like how do you how do you mystify, you know, when when so much is possible?
3: It was the wildest thing ever. He was like telling me what photos were what on my phone and like things that I, it was bizarre.
0: But Steve Cohen
1: actually did that. Yeah. in the audience he guessed someone's passcode put their passcode in and open their phone steve before Steve, we have three minutes with you. And David, I'm going to have you hang on because I want to tell you a little bit more about it. But with the three minutes we got, I know you talked about magic being a hobby. Uh, One thing I just don't have any clue about is like, what is the propensity of someone actually taking this hobby and making it a career? So for you, when you were in high school, I always remember at that age, like you were making a ton of money. What were you getting paid to do like a show in high school? And at any point, was there a potential professional career for you?
0: Yeah, I was doing three to five shows a weekend. So you could do like a Friday night to Saturday to Sunday. I was doing birthday parties, bar mitzvahs and weddings. And then <laughs> I, I, I worked at Six Flags, Darien Lake, back when it was just Darien Lake, uh, doing walk around magic. So card, cards and coins up close. I was making around $125 a show, which was about, the shows were 45 minutes but add in an hour and a half of travel. So it was not, you know, it wasn't going to send me through college, but it was, you know, it, it beat working at the mall. And there are tons of professional magicians who have, nowadays, I will say, <laughs> this was uh, in the early aughts, uh, the late 90s. You know, magic shows can get really pricey and you can, uh, you know, you can pay thousands of dollars, especially... Uh, you mentioned a, a business retreat, David, like uh, corporate magic is its own realm. Mm-hmm. And those guys and girls get, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and they're flown to amazing resorts and they, you know, get all expense paid trips. So th- there is a lucrative side to it. There's a lot of hustlers who are working, who people you've never heard of, who aren't really trying to be mainstream or public in the way right. that Steve is with his publicly facing show that are, are, you know, making six figures a year.
1: 125 bucks for 45 minutes at 16 in 1999, 2000, not a bad gig. All right, Steve, before we let you go, any, from your perspective, like a trading secret or just a general thought or inspiration on magic as a whole, before we let you go.
0: Mm, Let me see. I will say that, yeah, I'll, okay, I'm getting Here's my trading secret. There is a magic principle called one ahead, which is anytime you can be one step ahead of your audience, you are on great footing. And that one ahead principle is one that I use in my day job all the time. So if you've planted a seed with a potential client about, uh, you know, what their campaign has to be and you've gotten it in their brain. I'm talking about marketing. What sure. their logo needs to look like or what, what you know, um, what it must have. If you can get that in their brain three weeks before you have the meeting and then you, you wait for them to sort of uh, internalize it and make it their own idea and then you show up to the meeting and you present them with something that at that point they think is, is their own thought, you're one step ahead and you are... Uh, you know, you've already
1: won. One step ahead. You've already won. I love the idea. You're already one step ahead because it's 6.35 and you're five minutes late to a meeting. So Stephen, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your insight. Curious Canadian, hang tight with me and I want to get your thoughts on everything Stephen said.
0: Love it. Great chatting, y'all. Thanks, See Stephen. you,
1: Steve. Thank you.
0: Bye.
1: All right. So it was fun to get the perspective of a magician. Uh, David, I know I was moving fast there because that man is a busy man. To get 20 minutes of his time is not so easy. So tell me everything he said and anything that you thought Steve said that you want to further discuss.
3: It was nice to have my favorite Tardic on the show. Um, <laughs>
1: Pretty standard across the board.
3: You know what? The the <laughs> I, it must have been a magic trick played on me because when I saw Stephen Cohen, I thought we were getting the owner of the New York Mets on, the multi billionaire <laughs> who's business partners with Mark Lore and A Rod. And so when I saw when I logged on to the to watch the video and I saw Stephen Cohen, just this old magician right there, I was like, that's a magic trick. I was expecting someone different. That's um, so funny. I mean, it's incredible, man. It's 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 magic. I think, you know, I think just the essence of what the career is, you know, we have wealthy people in this world or successful people in this world that we can actually put a tangible act on what they do, right? A hedge fund manager, trade stocks, a CEO of this company, you know, XYZ of, of Tesla, they make motorized vehicles and, and a magic, a magician, a professional magician, we have no fucking clue what they do.
2: Yeah.
3: They just perform magic and blow your mind and you'll never understand how they do it. And I think just the essence of that, it's just so unique that I'm surprised it's not marketed more because it is just such a, an absolute mindfuck in the best way ever. <laughs> and it's always, always, always going to be entertaining. I don't care who you are.
1: That's the thing, dude. You're not. It's not even about magic. It's just strictly entertainment. And again, that's kind of the cool thing about this show. We tap industries and places that, pe- that people aren't tapping, and talk about industries and massive careers that people aren't talking about. And this is a guy, again, who just pursued his passion. He knew what he loved. He found a business about it. David, when you go there, part of the thing they say, and I talked about this in an interview, you have to wear a dress tuxedo. So I want you to like paint okay. this picture. Like you go on like a date night, or you go with friends. We were all dressed up. It's like fun to get dressed up. And you go up these like glorious steps in this beautiful hotel. And his room is just pristine. And like my brother said, super classy and classical. And then you're, you're entertained for two hours. And whether it's a date or a friend night, it's an experience that you constantly talk about. And guess what happened after? What happened after? We all went for drinks. None of our buddies were dressed up. They're like, where were you? We told them all about it. We're talking about yeah. it. It's just like marketing and entertainment at its finest. And the guy is just a true professional.
3: It's just that you said it. you hit the nail on the head, like experience, like any good, re- like Hawk just asked us for restaurants in New York City. Like, I just think of all the ones that gave me the best experience. Not necessarily yeah. about the food, it's the experience. Like, why are people obsessed with Disney? It's like the Disney experience. Like, it's really interesting. I, you know, he kind of took a risk and, and hit the nail on the head. So- um Now, I think that you have an opportunity for, speaking of experiences, for some of our listeners in the holiday spirit to be able to uh, attend this experience for free and win two tickets to one of his shows. Is that correct? Am I? Am that I right? That
1: is correct. So I Let's mentioned go. it in the intro. I'm going to r- mention it one more time in case anybody forgot. But tickets to his shows, like he said, are usually in that three to five hundred piece uh, for one ticket. We're giving away two tickets here. So two tickets in New York City up to a year to go watch him live. What do you have to do? You have to make sure that you're subscribed to Trading Secrets to enter. You have to give us a five-star review, and you have to actually write a review. You could write anything, like literally great magic show and, or great show with Steve, anything you want, but you have to put your Instagram handle. This is going to be open for one week. You got to make sure that you follow the home of trading secrets on Instagram, which is restart underscore reset. And we just opened the trading secrets Facebook group, which is free to join. So you got to follow that. Give us five stars, write a review, follow restart. And within a week, we are giving away two tickets. You will get a DM personally from me. And that's a thousand dollar retail value to go see this entertainment.
3: Can we announce it on Christmas?
1: We can announce it. Let me just look at the timeline here. Hang on. I'm not great with dates. This show comes out the 6th. We're going to have to announce it within, uh, let's say, we'll say within two weeks, within two weeks before December 20th. So if you're hearing this after December 20th, I'm sorry, but before December 20th, five-star, write your review, put your Instagram handle, go to the Facebook Trading Secrets page, join us, follow Restart Reset, and you will have the opportunity to win two tickets.
3: And the last thing that I'm going to plug for us here, uh, he said, if we can get him drunk, he'll share some more secrets. If you, the listeners want to get drunk with us, you can join us on December 16th for our uh, restart live happy hour. Am I right on those details, Jay?
1: You are right on that. All access members. It's only nine bucks to join. You can come to every single event, every podcast. We have a day trader to give you day trading tips. It's literally nine dollars a month. That's less than, you know, your cup of coffee, probably two cups of coffee a week for the month. So we have a happy hour, David and I, what is it? It's a living room talk. It's these recaps. We talk about everything, finance, careers, life stuff. Last time we got into, if you're stuck in an elevator for, for two hours, who would it be with? And the crowd participates. It's fun. That's December 16th at 630. David, that was a smooth transition. You're getting I'm, too good.
3: I'm getting good at this, you know, I'm getting Very good, at this. good.
1: All right. Anything before we close the bell?
3: No, loved it. Another great episode. We're close to, we're close to one milli. We are so close to 1 million million. downloads.
1: We can't do it. Word of mouth advertising, everybody. (laughs) Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your grandma. Tell your sister, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Tell everybody. We are just about 30,000 downloads from 1 million downloads. Please continue to subscribe. Tag Restart Reset on Instagram. Tag me on Instagram. Tag David on Instagram. David, what's your handle? David underscore Arduin?
3: No, at David Arduin. At David Arduin. A-R-D-U-I-N. All right, we're getting
1: out of control with this recap, so we're going to close it up before we go another hour. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Trading Secrets, one we hope that you could not afford to miss. We will see you next Monday.